Welcome to Ed Altitude. To have the world's greatest Air Force, you need the world's greatest airmen. Recruiters have the daunting task of finding the best and brightest civilians, enlisting them in either the Air Force or the Space Force, whose ranks Air Force recruiters are currently responsible for populating, then through basic military training, building them into the next generation of airmen or the very first generation of space professionals. These air and space warfighters must be resilient, innovative, diverse, hardworking, and be courageous as followers and evolve into bold and dynamic leaders. Airman Magazine's newest member, Staff Sergeant Janiqua Robinson, and I recently talked with Major General Edward W. Thomas, Jr. He's the commander of Air Force Recruiting Service. He believes that to attract the best and brightest civilians, the methods, rules, and requirements for recruiting for the Air Force and Space Force must continue to evolve, not by lowering standards to fulfill some random quota, but to ensure we don't eliminate any demographic from contributing its unique experience and insight to the betterment of the force. As American culture changes, our understanding of what diversity brings to the force is changing and expanding. This is evident with the historic appointments of General Charles Q. Brown, the first black Air Force Chief of Staff, and Chief Joanne Bass, the first female Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. However, Thomas believes we need diversity not just in race and gender, but also in class, age, life experience, and family history, so that the force can benefit from the vast array of perspectives and ideas offered by a representative cross-section of Americans. A global pandemic has not made it any easier to engage with the public, get civilians access to a recruiter, and then into a recently revamped basic military training. How do we engage with the public when these giant gatherings that would normally help us build interest are all canceled? How do we safely move civilians through the recruiting process? How do we socially distance basic military training? These are all questions that Major General Thomas and his team at AFRS have had to grapple with. So join Staff Sergeant Robinson and myself as we hear the answers of how the Air Force is turning those challenges into opportunities and increased capabilities, all while building the force of the future. I'm Joe Eddins, and you are at Altitude. General Thomas, thank you so much for doing this for us. Uh, just wanted to talk to you just in general terms. Tell me about the Air Force Recruiting Service. What are your, what are your goals? What are the current state of your mission? Um, and you can even roll it into this odd environment that we're having to work in with COVID-19. Yeah, let me just start with recruiting service. Um, I've been here about three months as a commander. Uh, I just feel like I, I won the jackpot coming down here. What a tremendous command to be part of. What a tremendous organization to be part of. I think there's few places in the Air Force where people have such an incredible sense of mission. Why we're here and what we do. I mean, we're here to change lives. And we're here to make sure that the next generation of airmen are the most capable that we could possibly bring in. So it's all about the future of the Air Force and national security. I remember as a colonel, I went to Kunsan for the first time to the Wolfpack. And I was there, I can't remember if I was inside the base theater or somewhere there at the unit, and the, the wing commander said, you know, Wolfpack, what's your mission? 
And they all, in, in this great chorus, yelled out, you know, what their mission was, uh, you know, defend the base, take the fight north, accept follow-on forces. And they all did it with such fervor that they were so proud and so, uh, they so identified with their mission. And I found in the short time that I've been re recruiting, that's the passion that I find with our recruiters, with our staff, with our whole team that knows the Air Force starts here, that the... The Air Force of tomorrow, the Air Force that's getting ready to fight the next war, absolutely depends on our ability to bring in America's best and brightest. So given that mission, sir, what is, is there a current overarching strategy that you could define for us when it comes to the recruiting service? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Joe, I won't go into the details of the strategy, but there's a few things that are, are key. Um, you know, one of them is really driving and improving smart operations. Uh, and that's about everything from diversity to uh, big data, AI, analytics, how we do our analysis. Um, and, and then one of the other key points that I'll hit on is total force recruiting. You know, just, uh, just a couple of years ago, you could go to a, a job fair, an air show, a public event, and largely what you would find is, is very independent and separate recruiting entities representing the Air Force. You might have the Air Force Academy on one side of the auditorium or the airfield. You might have Air Force ROTC somewhere, the Reserve, the Guard, the Active Duty, the Air Force Civilian Service, all acting independently. And if you walked up to the wrong booth and said, hey, I want to join the Air Force and I want to do this, they very likely may have said, yeah, sorry, we can't help you. Go to the Yellow Pages or go to Google and maybe you can find somebody who can help you with that. Now with total force recruiting, the idea is, and we're making great progress, is that we're operating synergistically. That we're operating as one big team. We're talking to each other. We're collaborating. In some cases, we've, we've merged organizations so that when any young American walks up to a recruiting station or a booth or a recruiter at an air show or a high school, and they come up and they say, I want to join the Air Force, no matter what part of the Air Force they want to be, uh, they, want to, they want to identify with, that that recruiter is going to go, you've come to the right place. We can help you. If they want to serve full-time, part-time, in uniform, out of uniform as a civilian, if they want to serve close to their hometown, if they want to see the world, there's a lot of ways to serve in the Air Force. And we just were not driving uh, a cohesive, you know, collaborative unity of effort. That now under total force recruiting, we're just we're just doing what makes sense. And so I would imagine that having that ability and that cohesiveness across the various components of the air, the big air force, um, allows those recruiters who may have someone who wants to come up in uniform and wants to be a cyber specialist and probably is not going to meet the physical standards to say, "Hey, we have civilian billets. We've got National Guard. We've got." any number of things, you know, it's not just here. Um, I would imagine that especially STEM talent, that makes um, being able to acquire that talent uh, a lot easier. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. If somebody walks into a recruiting station and for some reason they may not meet active duty requirements, uh, it could be childhood asthma, it could be a number of things, but they may still be a high quality recruit for us in the Air Force, whether it's in cyber operations, uh, uh, science, uh, analysis, engineering, 
uh, going to work for AFMC uh, up at Wright Pat or the Air Force Labs. And now with Total Force Recruiting, we can be a lot smarter about the way we uh, identify, recruit, and then funnel and vector that talent to the place that, that that American can serve our Air Force in the best way. So you had mentioned the, the word diversity, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. Why is, why is diversity such a big deal? What is it that makes the Air Force better by having people from different ethnic, cultural, racial, uh, educational backgrounds? Um, what, how does the Air Force benefit from that? And why is that a priority? Well, you know, I started thinking about diversity, well, a long time ago. I probably thought about it on and off probably most of my career. But as I got ready to come into recruiting service and when I was the, uh, the communicator at, at the air staff, I thought a lot about diversity. And the question that you ask, why? Why diversity uh, is, is critical? I, I think there's a lot of times people are going to hear things they think sounds like a company answer. It sounds like political correctness. It sounds like a variety of things. But diversity is absolutely fundamental for our success as an Air Force in the future. Uh, and, and it's fundamental for two primary reasons, at least in my humble opinion, that, that I would offer you. Um, the first one is we have, to, we have to recruit the best and brightest from across America, all of America. If we're recruiting really well in the Southern Smile, as we call it, across the Southern states, if we're recruiting really well after, out of one socioeconomic group or one demographic um, but we're not, we're not reaching these untapped areas of American talent. We're not really getting the best and brightest. You know, one of the, uh, while I'm from Texas A&M, one of the coaches that I admire the most is, is Nick Saban from Alabama. That coach knows how to recruit a team. That coach knows how to go after talent. He knows how to scout. He knows the right fishing holes to go to. And Nick Saban is not going to do anything but take the very best and brightest, the best athlete, the best of breed to be able to come and play for the Crimson Tide. Why should we accept anything less as America's Air Force, as the greatest Air Force in the world, than to go after the best, the brightest, the best athlete out there across America? And if we're not diverse, then by definition, we're simply not doing that. Here's the second reason that I, I believe is also very important. Uh, it's a secondary reason, but it's, it, but it's really key, is that we are a military serving a democracy. We serve this democracy, and we, uh, we rise or fall off of the public support uh, and the, uh, both the acceptance, the awareness, the support that our American people give us. Uh, already, the understanding in the American public of the Air Force and the military at large is much more tenuous. It's much more fragile than it used to be. Um, and if we don't reflect the society which we serve, you know, if we are predominantly all white male or all this or all that, we don't reflect the society which we serve. Our ability to really enjoy the full support of the American people and represent American people across the board it is going to be hindered and it will be significantly hindered. So let me ask you kind of the tough question. How you doing? I mean, you're seeing data coming in as far as diversity and recruiting. Um, how's the Air Force doing? Well, when it comes to diversity in the Air Force today, we're not doing as well as we need to be. 
progress needs to be swifter. The recent events with uh, the tragic events with George Floyd uh, and the uh, associated um, protests and riots and other uh, social unrest across America, quite frankly, has been an accelerant. We've been thinking about diversity for a long time, but right now we've been given a moment of time, a moment in time that we have to, uh, to, to muster and take advantage of all of the drive and the public opinion right now to help us become the diverse force that, that we need to be. So how are we doing on diversity? On the enlisted side, I would say we're doing relatively well, but we still have room for improvement. We're meeting or exceeding uh, every demographic, every diversity target that we have for each demographic. Um, African-American, our African-American airmen are almost double the qualified population in America right now. Um, however, our Asian-American population, we're only being able to attract about half of that qualified population. So what we call the qualified population of, of uh, Asian-Americans in America, for instance, those who can meet the basic qualifications to come into the Air Force is about 9.1%. But we're only recruiting about half of that. We're at about 4.3%. So how do we do better? How do we attract high-quality Asian-American recruits to come join the team so we do reflect society more closely than we do today? Got, got any answers to that question you just posed? Are there any, any kind of uh, ideas that have moved forward to engage that community more? Yeah, we're doing a few things. One of the things we did this summer is we established diversity targets. It's a target, uh, and I want to be very clear, it's, it's not a quota. We are not uh, grading or assessing each individual recruiter out on the field against certain numbers of certain demographics they need to bring in. However, at the headquarters level, at the regional level and above, up to uh, Air Force Recruiting Service headquarters, every month we review all of our demographic data and all of our targets. For instance, I mentioned that we're only bringing in about 4.3% of Asian Americans. A target needs to be about 9, 9.1% of Asian Americans. So how do we do that? How do we do that while maintaining a high, consistent standard across the board? Because by no means are we talking about lowering standards. In some areas, we're talking about lowering the bar, how we reach people, how we attract people. So when it really comes down to it, one of the key things that we have is, is how, we, how we attract, how we market, how we go after um, those groups of Americans who may not be naturally interested or what we call propensed in coming into the military. We have to get better about how we go out and we uh, go to schools. Maybe it's um, historically black colleges and universities. Maybe it's Hispanically served institutions. Maybe it's uh, student organizations or other professional organizations like uh, OBAP, the Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals. How do we go, how do we partner, how do we form strategic partnerships with these organizations? A and then importantly, influencers in those organizations. Um, CEOs, coaches, guidance counselors, parents, others that are ready to be able to give that, um, give that guidance, give that recommendation to their, their athlete, their student, their member of that organization to say, hey, you, you really ought to think about the Air Force. There's a lot there. There's a lot that the Air Force has to offer. This could be a good fit for you. The Air Force for quite a long time has been a family business. And it has also been a business that attracts by 
being close to a base geographically. So as we talked about beforehand, uh, kids that are involved in sciences and happen to live around Dayton know all about AFRL. But big engineering schools like Drexel, Cornell, maybe not. How do we reach out to them uh, other than the occasional uh, job fair or um, visit by a recruiter? Yeah, that, that, that's part of the challenge. Uh, and, and let me start, I'm going to back up just a little bit. And let me tell you about our recruiting landscape and what it looks like out there right now. And then I'm going to drill into your specific question. Recruiting has continued to become more challenging. We meet our goals every year. We've met our goals since 1999. But the challenge that we're going to have to continue to grapple with as we move forward is less and less people generally understand America. Uh, less and less people and American youth are interested in coming into the military today, primarily because they just don't know about the military. And then when you, uh, when you are able to target the population that might be interested, um, the number that's actually qualified to come in is, is, is considerably lower than it used to. Today, if you look at the age 17 to 21 year olds, only about 25% are actually qualified to come into the military. And that's a combination of uh, whether they meet the academic standards, whether they meet the physical standards, maybe behavioral standards because of uh, a drug use or other things that could disqualify them. So you've got a relatively small pool that's actually qualified to come in today. That, coupled with the fact that less and less people understand the military, um, you know, well less than half of American youth can name all four major branches of the military, uh, of the influencers out there, of the, the coaches, the parents, the guidance counselors, uh, about half or less would recommend to their student, to their child, to come into the military today. Again, largely, I believe it's a gap in awareness and understanding what the military actually is. Um, and, and then finally, the, the personal connection with the military, having a family member in the military, somebody you know that you see come home in a uniform or that you understand and you hear them come home at Christmas and talk about what life was like, what basic military training was like, or officer training school, or going to the Air Force Academy. Those numbers are considerably less than they used to be today. Um, for instance, in 1995, approximately 40% of all new recruits had a parent who had served somewhere in the military in the United States. Uh, today, that number is only about 15%. Only about 15% of our recruits have a, a, a parent, a mom, or dad who served in the military. So there's a general lack of understanding and a general lack of awareness of what it means to serve. I mean, we get the most basic questions at times. Uh, can I have a dog in the military? Um, can I have a car? Um, things that you would probably surprise you that we take for granted as airmen that we know about the service, you have to understand the average American youth outside the gates just doesn't know. You were talking about that, that smaller pool. Um, and we're, we're becoming a digital air force. And of that crop of people who are digitally talented, digitally inclined, uh, there's a lot of competition for their services out there. So how does, how does the Air Force try and set itself apart 
other than saying we do such cool stuff we can't tell you what it is um, to attract STEM talent uh, away from Silicon Valley or Washington State or wherever, um, or even you know talented talented people who uh, machinists or uh, flight line personnel who may be tempted to go you know work for Boeing or someplace else. Yeah, there's a variety of ways that we go after the specific type of talent that we need. When it comes to STEM talent, for instance, we've got about 25 different strategic partnerships uh, that we work at Air Force Recruiting Service. You know, one of them was with an organization called First Robotics that brings in uh, those youth, uh, those kids in high school who are uh, mechanically inclined, who are fascinated uh, by science and technology and engineering. And we partner with some of those organizations and we bring our recruiters in and we, we, uh, we use those events as launching pads to provide those kids, those American youth with exposure to airmen, with exposure to what we do and help start to uh, create an understanding of the opportunities that may lie within the Air Force for them to be able to get their hands on that technology, to be able to be a cyber transport technician or to be a... Uh, a maintainer on uh, an F-35. You know, it's one thing that we, we talked about with the, uh, with the STEM coordinator at AFRL. Do we need to start looking younger? Do we need to start engaging uh, America's youth at a much younger level, middle school, maybe even earlier, as opposed to waiting until high school and college? We absolutely have to start engaging early. We don't recruit early, but we want to, what we want to do is we want to in, inspire early. We have in recruiting service what we call the recruiting funnel. Pick, picture it as a funnel like this. And up at the very top is inspire. And then you go down further and it's to engage. And the bottom, which is very transactional, is the recruiting piece. But up here in the top of the funnel, we want to be able to inspire the American public. You know, when there was a, a little Ed Thomas who was at MacDill Air Force Base uh, in the 70s watching red, white, and blue T-38s fly over, you know, as part of the Thunderbirds, you know, I looked up at the Thunderbirds and go, wow, I want to do that. I want to be part of that. So the things that we do, the way that we engage the American public, it may be an in-theater commercial. It might be something on the Internet. It might be social media. Uh, it might be any number of ways we engage from an advertisement to the Thunderbirds to an honor guard performing somewhere. We want to start inspiring Americans at the youngest age to go, I could do that. I want to be like that. Gee, that just looks like an absolutely great way to be able to spend my life. Does that, does that mean engaging them beyond the traditional and trying to get past the traditional you can fly planes and be a pilot and you know there's so much more to the air force especially on the technical side there is this a, a direction that we're heading to start trying to gauge um you know people who are not directly thinking about being in a combatant role but being in a combatant in a different way yeah, absolutely. We've got to be able to inspire a wide swath of, of talent, of interest, of attributes to be able to fill out our 680,000, you know, uh, person Air, Air Force. So, yeah, we want to attract the, the next fighter pilot, uh, but we also want to attract the next F-22 mechanic or the next civil engineer uh, or the next, uh, you know, aerospace physiology uh, professional. So we've got a variety of strategic partnerships, whether it's with NASCAR or FIRST Robotics 
or um, fitness organizations as we target special operators. So we want to throw a pretty wide net out in one sense. In another sense, we know that we have to use big data, AI, analytics, a very deliberate process to be able to reach each of those folks who would be potentially interested in coming and joining us as airmen. And so that kind of kind of leads me into the data question that I had a little bit later, but this seems like a natural segue. How can we make use of all that data? I mean, people are living, leaving digital footprints everywhere these days um, that not only talk about their, their interests, um, their capabilities, but also their habits of mind. Is, is going after, especially becoming a much more technologically uh, centered Air Force, is, is and, and things like cyber aren't just for the cyber units. Everybody has to know about cyber to a certain extent because they're gonna be working with computer systems all the time. Is, is finding individuals who have habits of mind to continuously want to learn, um, is that something that we're looking for? We're absolutely looking for those continual learners. We're looking for those life, lifetime learners, those folks who are driven to, to better themselves. And primarily the way we go do that is we need a presence in those, uh, in those cultures, in those organizations, in those schools, in those places where we can find those, those people who are inclined, who have the drive, who have the intellect, who have the interest to come be part of, of, of who we are. Everything from online e-gaming to uh, fitness cultures uh, to other STEM-related organizations where that will attract those kinds of people. They're the same people that we're buying for, the same people that we want to be able to attract into our ranks. So I'm going to throw a Roper special at you here. Okay. The Air Force is very, very long been accused of only getting people who fit the Air Force. But in order for us to be more agile, more ready, compete with non-democratic systems that don't put the same kind of limitations on the military as, as, as we do, as our civilian government does, is it, are we looking for people now who are more disruptive thinkers, who are looking at the way things are and saying, wait a second, there's another way to do this. Um, is this becoming a priority to be more agile? We absolutely have to be more agile. We need disruptive thinkers. We need diversity. We need to be able to bring teams together of individuals who don't think the same, who don't come from the same places, who aren't bounded, who aren't living inside the same box uh, intellectually. Uh, every study that I've seen on leadership and strong teams show that the strongest, most high-performing teams are the most diverse teams. The last thing I want is to go to a war with a bunch of people that look like Ed Thomas. That's not what makes a strong team. I hope Ed Thomas is a good part of that team. But I need, I need diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of skills, diversity of background. You, you know, that's one of the things that I think has made our nation great for so many years is we, we've been a melting pot, bringing the very best to our Air Force. And that's what diversity does for us. And again, that's not just diversity in the way we look externally. That's diversity in the way we think, in the way we uh, attack problems, uh, in the way we approach life in general. Let's shift gears a little bit. Challenging environment to do your job with the current pandemic. We've, we've all had to pivot 
as is evidenced as to what's happening here. I would normally be in there in your office taking up valuable oxygen. Um, so how have you all modified your operations to, to reach your goals, to reach the people that you want to reach in this environment? Yeah, we had to do a significant retool uh, back in March when COVID really started to, to grip the nation. Uh, probably the single biggest change for our Air Force recruiters and our recruiting enterprise is, is that face-to-face -face recruiting that has been the bread and butter of how we go attract and inspire people to come into to our ranks. We, we simply weren't able to do it. Uh, physical, physical presence, that kind of physical presence in recruiting was virtually shut down. So there's a couple things we had to do. One, we had to really quickly shift to a virtual recruiting model. Just like uh, Zoom, a word that really was little known to most Americans uh, before March of, of 2020, uh, it was the same for recruiting service. We started using virtual techniques to be able to connect with schools, connect to recruiters, uh, virtual online marketing. We had to shift a lot of the way that we went after recruits to be able to do that online. Um, and then one of the other challenges that we had was simply the physical demands of being able to process people and then ship them to basic training. Our Air Force made a very key and strategic decision early on in COVID that we were not going to interrupt the training pipeline, that it was mission essential and that we needed to keep people flowing through the pipeline. So that was a real marriage and team, uh, team interaction between Air Force Recruiting Service and second Air Force and basic military training. So we came up with another term that was really not uh, in play before March of 2020, it's agile shipping. So as COVID gripped the country and different parts of the map turned red because of the intensity of the COVID virus, we would have to shift to other areas. So maybe we were getting ready to ship a bunch of recruits out of the military processing facility in Dallas, Texas, and Dallas got hit harder with COVID, so we might switch to Louisville or Baltimore or some other part of the country. And we kept, we, we stayed on our toes uh, and our recruiters and our recruiting staff worked to be able to make sure that we could keep the ranks of BMT full to the capacity we could with COVID each and every week of the year. Uh, they did a magnificent job. I, I'm impressed at the way our folks in the field were able to shift quickly and ship the folks we needed to keep the training pipeline going. With the emphasis now, um with virtual recruiting, given this environment that we're, we're working in right now. Is it almost a good thing that we're flexing that muscle? Can you see us going back from this? Or is this gonna be a larger component of how AFRS does their business? You know, we've learned a lot of lessons through COVID. Uh, it's forced, it's driven some improvement in certain areas. And I think frankly, what we're gonna find post COVID is a new normal. Uh, the new normal is not going to look like it did before March 20. Probably not, hopefully not as draconian it is right now, but we will rely more on virtual recruiting. Uh, we will be more agile in the way we ship and when we ship our recruits uh, to basic military training. Uh, the online marketing to be able to drill down to reach a certain kind of person in a certain area, we've gotten better at. We'll do more virtual communication amongst the recruiting team and with our recruits. So yeah, we've learned a lot of valuable lessons. They've been hard learned lessons. Uh, our reality today, we certainly hope is not the reality by the end of the summer of 21. 
but there are pieces and parts of that that will will not change going forward. We will be adopting them. Um, are you are you seeing any data yet, uh, specifically with virtual recruiting, as to the success of this, or is this um, just generally have as far as meeting goals this year with all these challenges? Where do where do we stand? Well, in general, we've relied on virtual recruiting, for, of course, far more than we have in the past. But it is it is harder. Uh, for instance, um, when we get what we call national leads uh, off of advertising, off of uh, social media, uh, we can convert those what we call leads to recruits with about a 30 to 1 ratio. So it takes 30 of those leads to be able to get down to, to one physical recruit that checks into basic military training. With face-to-face -face recruiting, we typically can do that with about an 8 to 1 ratio. So virtual recruiting is harder. It's more expensive. And so we're going to have to find that right balance of what, uh, what the environment allows to do physical recruiting, find the right combination of virtual recruiting to hit that sweet spot where we can be the most effective. Let me ask you a, a much more general question here for dumb, dumb civilians like me. Can you explain to me the hierarchy and how AFRS uh, fits in in the chain and relates to Air Force HQ, the goals that they set, and then feeding that BMT pipeline and AETC? Sure. Air Force Recruiting Service uh, resides, the headquarters is in uh, San Antonio, Texas at Randolph Air Force Base. We've got about 3,000 total force recruiters from, uh, from Tokyo to, to Ramstein, essentially, and we work for Air Education and Training Command. So the MAGCOM that we report to is Air Education and Training Command, who reports to the Secretary and, and the Chief of Staff of the Air Force. Gotcha. Um, I want to I want to go back to this uh, to the idea here of various career fields. Things like cyber have become very foundational. We've kind of already talked about that. It's pretty much cyber. It's just not for the cyber units. It's for every airman. And that is obviously, you know, AETC is going to have to engage and, and start raising the level. Um, we saw things like the, uh, the CCR unit up at AFRL putting together basically what everybody uses every day anyway, a YouTube channel, secure YouTube channel, that the community of cyber people could funnel lessons learned because, you know, everything changes so fast. Um, one of the other career fields, we mentioned artificial intelligence and things like that, but that's become very foundational is, uh, is contracting and uh, acquisitions. And probably 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that, but are we actively trying to pursue some of the best and brightest when it comes to Agile acquisition methods to join us? Yeah, we, we absolutely are. Uh, we, we do that on the en enlisted side and on the officer side. So in, in the enlisted side, what we get is called a, a, a PGL, a program guidance letter that comes from basically big Air Force, headquarters Air Force. And it says you will recruit, let's say, 30,000 active duty REGAF airmen, and they need to be broken up into these different specialties, cyber, acquisition, contracting, aircraft maintenance, civil engineer, a number of different fields. And then headquarters Air Force and the career field manager essentially says, these are the qualifications. We want you to go recruit civil engineers and we need them to 
be able to have these kinds of test scores, uh, these kinds of qualities. If it's special warfare, uh, there's a lot of physical characteristics that go along with that as well. And we doggedly go after every single airman to fill every single seat, training seat, in each specific career field. So we're able to have that vast array uh, of talents, of qualities, of skills that the, that the Air Force needs as a total to be able to do our mission. And so talking about those technical career fields, um, tell me about that one, what they do, what kind of success they've had, um, what, is, what is their mission and what benefit has that given the recruiting service? So a couple of years ago, my uh, predecessor and good friend, uh, Major General Jeannie Levitt, um, she created what she called Attachment One, and she basically just thought it into existence. It took a while to actually get the actual manpower uh, slots and allocations and the resources for it, but Attachment One is all about rated diversity. Um, rated diversity, the uh, pilots, navigators, RPA operators, rated diversity on our officer side is our, it's our center of gravity for diversity. It's the single area where we have made the least progress in the area where we have to doggedly be able to pursue and increase the diversity in our ranks. Uh, as most people know, we're, we're an Air Force for a reason. And most of our senior leaders uh, are uh, tied to very air-centric occupations. They're pilots, they're navs, they're, um, you know, they're uh, weapon systems officers. And so in order to ensure that the future of the Air Force, let's say what the Secretary's large conference room looks like on the fourth floor of the Pentagon. In 20 years, if you walk in to that large conference room in the Pentagon filled with Air Force leaders, how diverse is it going to be? And uh, I would argue uh, uh, that the diversity of that conference room in 20 years is directly tied to our ability to, to increase our rate of diversity to be able to attract people other than, than white males and all the demographics we need to be able to come in and consider the Air Force as a, as, as a lifestyle and a way of service for them. Let me talk about our Debt One program. So Detachment One that, that's solely dedicated to increasing rated diversity in the Air Force has a number of really dynamic programs that they're working to be able to connect with the American people, connect with American youth, uh, for instance, we've got the Aim High Flight Academy. This is an opportunity to bring in uh, largely American youth who may not have the opportunity to fly otherwise. Bring them into a, a flight camp uh, during the summer months, pair them up with a mentor, and get them up soloing in, in a Cessna 150 to let them, let them taste what it's like to slip the surly bonds, to taste what it's like to be able to push in the throttle uh, and, uh, and be able to pull back on the stick and, and, uh, and leave the ground to be able to uh, learn basic flight maneuvers. Uh, so the AIM High Flight Academy uh, targets what we call early access, being able to, to let our American youth taste what it's like to fly and be part of aviation, to get the bug uh, to be a flyer early. We also do virtual forums that since COVID has been one of the ways we've been able to reach out in large numbers to, uh, to the public. Uh, Detachment One does what they call Pathway to Wings. And often these are virtual panels of a thousand people or more where you've got uh, you know, a small group of panelists that are talking about how you earn your wings, how you can become an Air Force pilot, how you might become a space operator to just help create an understanding and awareness of what we do and how to be part of us.
Detachment One works with the Civil Air Patrol. It works with Junior ROTC. It works with um, a host of different organizations uh, that both represent minorities, that represent uh, flying communities, that represent colleges and universities, uh, to be able to come together to be able to, 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 to target and to be able to get the word out to otherwise uh, to communities that otherwise just may not know about what it is to be an Air Force pilot. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want people to see how exciting a career in aviation is, how exciting flying an aircraft can be, how exciting coming and joining the Air Force can be, what a great way of life that that can be. And the Detachment One is all about creating that excitement and that understanding and making what we do, which those who know it is a very attractive lifestyle. But if we don't tell people about it, if we don't show them, if we don't let them taste it, then we potentially lose very high quality, often diverse recruits. So you mentioned we're an Air Force, we're an Air Force. We got a Space Force now. And it's, it's your gig to recruit for the Space Force too. So tell me about how that has changed operations and what are your goals for that? As of the 19th of December of 20, or, or the 20th of December of, of uh, 2019, we became the Air Force Recruiting Service for the United States Air Force and the United States Space Force. It's an exciting new mission. There's no one in Air Force Recruiting Service who isn't thrilled about the opportunity to be able to help uh, shape uh, the future, the demographics, the, uh, the future force uh, of the Space Force. So we've worked very closely with General Raymond, General Thompson, and the Space Force leadership to be able to do a couple things. One of them that, that frankly is, is the priority right now is the strategic marketing side. That's the idea that it's our job at Air Force Recruiting Service to be able to create awareness and understanding for the nation of what a Space Force is, what the U.S. Space Force is, what they do, what their mission is, and how critical they are to protecting the American way of life. Some people might have seen some of the rounds of recent commercials we did. Uh, one of them that I, I particularly like uh, that we produced was called uh, Purpose. And the idea, uh, the tagline is, your purpose on this planet may not be on this planet. And the whole focus of the Space Force recruiting campaign is to get people excited about this new service and how they can come in and serve uh, in a different way than the, than the United States Air Force to be able to serve the nation and protect space capabilities for all. Why aim high? Why is that the catchphrase for this force? So we started using AIM High back in 1984. We used AIM High from about 84 to 2000, and then it basically went dormant. As often, uh, corporations, companies, services move off and go to something else. And we went through a series of, above all, cross into the blue, a variety of different taglines, slogans, if you will, for the Air Force. And when I got to the air staff uh, working for General Golfing, we, we, we looked at all of it again and we thought, is there a better, what's the best way to be able to communicate what we do as airmen, what we bring to the nation, uh, what value uh, we offer to national security? How do you do that in a tagline? You know, the Marines have been very successful with the few, the proud. Other services have gone through a variety of different ones. One of my favorite Army ones uh, back in the 80s was Be All You Can Be. I can still remember the jingle that went along with Be All You Can Be. Uh, then they went to an army of one, then they went to army strong. Well, as we looked at that and we looked at the whole calculus of how do you embody what it means 
to be an airman or how do you attract people to come in? Ultimately, we, we came back to aim high, and I absolutely think it is the, the right tagline for, for our Air Force. And, and, and let me tell you why. Of all the studies, all the research we've done, why people join us, why they want to come in and be airmen, it really kind of boils down to opportunity. People see opportunity. They see opportunity to better themselves, frankly, to, to aim high. And they see opportunity to, uh, to serve their country, to be part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, they, they see opportunity to get an education. They see opportunity to get job skills. They see opportunity to travel, to aim high, to be able to leave their small town or their big city or wherever they are and come do amazing things with amazing people, to aim high. So we're sticking with aim high. Let me ask you a question here uh, about uh, the reorganization of the medical waiver process. We have been able to bring a streamlined process for medical waivers under Air Force Recruiting Service. This serves the active duty, the guard, reserve, ROTC, the academies. Um, so what it does is we've got a team now of a couple dozen docs and medical professionals that every day are able to centrally look at all of the medical waivers request. Everything from a recruit that's getting ready to ship to BMT that they come up uh, and find something in his record to the lieutenant who wants to go to pilot training uh, to a variety of different issues, the academy cadet who wants to come in. And we are now able to look at all those wet waivers in one centralized process with one team of experts that applies one consistent, smart, reasonable standard that serves the Air Force and frankly serves those applicants uh, in, in the best ways. We've been able to cut processing time down from weeks to just a, a handful of days as we work those waivers through. And in a lot of cases, we're able to grant those waivers and bring otherwise very qualified people into our ranks. You know, we have been talking about a lot of specific career fields. Let me ask you about this. What, what kind of success have you had with singling out candidates for special operations right at the get-go? Maybe tell me a little bit about that. So we have a single squadron dedicated to recruiting special warfare professionals. It's the 330th Recruiting Squadron uh, here, here in San Antonio. Uh, and we've had a tremendous amount of success being able to go out and recruit those people who are interested and would be high-performing uh, Air Force special warfare operators. Uh, we recruit for all the special warfare uh, specialties, uh, as well as EOD and, and SEER. Um, we do it with a team of a combination of special warfare operators and recruiters that, that know the field and know the market. And then we've also brought in, we've been really innovative bringing in contractors who we call our developers. So once somebody shows interest and they look like they meet the initial qualifications for special warfare, we have, in most cases, former special warfare operators go out and help train them physically. Uh, some, of it's phys some of it's a physical presence, some of it's a virtual presence to make sure folks can go out and do that 500-meter swim. They can do that 1.5-mile run. They can, they can hang with the toughest and meet all of the very high qualifications of a special warfare operator in our Air Force. How important is engaging in this daily uh, and I guess we're talking mostly about social media here, this daily information battle space to achieving, getting your message out correctly to the people that you want to attract. 
Well, I think there's a couple pieces here. But to have the awareness of what we do and who we are and a reputation uh, of, of excellence and integrity for the Air Force and, and the whole DOD, for that matter, is absolutely critical. Uh, back during the Civil War, uh, in the early years of the Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln said public sentiment is, is everything. Um, without it, nothing can succeed. With it, nothing will fail. We have to have that public sentiment. The American people need to know us. They need to know our value proposition. They need to know what we represent, and they need to know that we will take care of them. We will protect their interests. We'll do it as good stewards of the taxpayer dollars. More importantly, good steward of their sons and daughters when they send them to us to be airmen. So our presence uh, in the media, uh, virtually, uh, on social media, uh, physical presence out in the communities, is essential. We, we cannot succeed as an Air Force without taking that outreach mission that frankly is, is, um, is a responsibility of all of us as airmen. We can't succeed without it. Can you recall a specific time when there was a quote unquote failure in your career or on a mission um, that ultimately propelled you to something greater? by accepting it kind of in the scientific method as lessons learned. Okay, now I know what, what not to do. Or did it inform how you, you lead airmen uh, in the past or, or, or currently? I would say generally, uh, as an airman and a leader, I've learned far more from my failures as I have from my successes. Um, I've often learned something uh, about myself uh, as a leader. Uh, I've learned something about the organization. And often when you're, when you're trying a new doctrine or tactic, a new technology, you'll learn something about those things that help you be able to, to innovate, to be able to continue to develop and evolve and being able to, to be able to hit the target. Um, in recruiting service, uh, we use all the best analytics that we can to be good stewards of the American taxpayer dollar. But, but ultimately, we've got to experiment. You, you cannot, uh, with absolute certainty, say that a, a, a certain program, a certain event, a certain commercial, uh, a certain way to reach the American people is going to succeed. And because of it, they're going to be lining up at your recruiting, recruiting offices and wanting to raise their right hand and say, I want to be an airman. So we have to be able to give our, our recruiters and our team the license to be creative. Good stewards with the taxpayer dollars, absolutely thoughtful about how we do that. But we've got to be able to um, incentivize and, and reward risk taking. Smart risk taking, absolutely. But we've got to take risk. Otherwise, we get stuck in old static paradigms where we're not growing, we're not evolving, we're not being able to break outside of the, uh, you know, the molds that we've been stuck in. So, yeah, as a commander... If somebody's taking a calculated risk, they weigh the costs and benefits and, and say, hey, we're going to try this and it doesn't work. Great. Then let's move on to the next thing. We want to be smart about it, but we've got to encourage that risk taking. Let me ask you then the most important question by far. I only know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. So what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? So here's what I'd leave you with. We need airmen's help. We need every airman to be a recruiter. We've talked about the more fragile connection we have with American society today. 
the less, uh, considerably less understanding of who we are and what we do. And the very best recruiting technique we have, the very best recruiting asset we have is our airmen. We, we, we need them. On airplanes, when they're sitting next to somebody and they go, yeah, I thought about contacting a recruiter. Or, hey, I didn't get a call back from that recruiter. Or, tell me about what you do. Pull out your cell phone. We've got an Aim High app on your cell phone. You can connect an American, American youth with a recruiter in any part of the country. We have the, the WHERE program. We are all recruiters. Where you can go permissive TDY for two weeks uh, to your hometown where you can go and you can do events and you can go to high schools and you can go to other recruiting venues, wear your uniform, talk about the Air Force, talk about what we do, and talk about the value proposition of how great it is to be an American airman and what we do for our country. So what, what, what I could, the biggest thing I could ask for is for our airmen out there to go out and understand they're a recruiter and we need them. Sergeant Robinson, is there anything that I missed or something we should come back to? Um, a lot of people have an issue with the length of the service commitment. So are recruiters pitching the Air Force as more of a career or as a stepping stone to achieve a different goal? You know, I think really all of the above. You know, we're looking for those airmen that want to come in and, and make a way of life out of it and, and be 20 or 30 years as an airman. But we're also looking for those airmen that are going to come in, they're going to get a skill, they're going to fill our ranks, they're going to be great airmen, and they're going to go out into society as a great citizen. So I think as we recruit, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's kind of a sales portfolio. When I say sales in the best sense of the word, because our recruiters are, they're into sales, but what they're into sales selling is a, uh, is an opportunity to serve in national security, an opportunity for a great lifestyle, an opportunity to go do amazing things. And that can be part-time in the reserve while getting the GI bill to do that. It can be full-time in the, uh, the regular air force. It can be for a career. It can be for four years. So absolutely in all of the above. Okay, um, and so with that, we talked about the pool of people, um, like how we're looking at it from a diversity standpoint, but how, how are we looking at it from like a societal changing standpoint? For example, um, a lot of states are changing their marijuana laws. Are we changing the standards that we um, hold for our recruits to match the Americans that we currently have? Uh, we are constantly, and I say we, these, these are policy decisions that are made at Headquarters Air Force, and we are continually evaluating uh, what the, the, the norms and the standards are and the laws in American society and how that affects our applicant pool. Uh, for instance, uh, tattoos have been one of those things that the standards are far less restrictive to come into the Air Force with tattoos today than they were about four years ago. So we're continually evaluating those. So we are still getting in the highest quality recruit, but we're not out of step in a way that we're depriving ourselves as a service of America's best and brightest. All right, and then the last one is uh, the difference in the pool. How do you determine who is better suited for the Air Force and the Space Force? And is there a difference in the career fields that are available to Space Force recruits now? So recruiting for the Air Force Air Force and the U.S. Space Force, while all handled at Air Force Recruiting Service, is, is somewhat independent. Air Force recruiters handle both. But a potential recruit comes into a station and says, either I want to join the Air Force or I want to join the, Air, the, the Space Force. And then from that point, we're able to counsel them on those job opportunities. There are some common 
job opportunities between the two. Space operators are only found in the Space Force. However, uh, engineers and intelligence and some of those other what we call common AFSCs, uh, we share between both services. Uh, but ultimately, that recruit comes in and says, I want to join the Space Force or I want to join the Air Force, and we track them that direction. Just as a follow-up question to that, are there career fields that are going to stick just with the Air Force and never have a uh, counterpart that is in the Space Force, or are we looking to mirror both no, absolutely. That's a great question. So 75% of the support for the Space Force will come from the United States Air Force. For instance, uh, you will not have uh, personnelists, judge advocates, chaplains, public affairs officers, civil engineers, cops, you know, defenders. There's a whole lot. Uh, the, the list is far longer uh, of Air Force specialty codes that will not transfer into the Space Force than will. The Air Force was created, excuse me, the Space Force was created to be a very light, lean, agile organization. Almost think of it as the SpaceX of DOD. Uh, so it will be a, a much smaller handful of specialties that are solely dedicated to the operations field within the Space Force. All right, that satisfies all of my curiosity, sir. <laughs> okay, well, if you get more curious, let me know. Sir, you've been very, very generous with your time, and it has been enlightening. Thank you so much for doing this with us. We appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of At Altitude. My thanks to Major General Thomas and all those Air Force recruiters who are the very first step in building the force of the future. The At Altitude podcast is a production of Airman Magazine, located at Defense Media Activity at Fort Meade, Maryland. Please check out the rest of our content at the Airman website, airman.dodlive.mil. Or you can search for us on iTunes, Vimeo, YouTube, Facebook, and Flickr. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>